This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's going on? You know, not a whole lot. We take a little break after episode 300, been watching these NBA playoffs, you know, enjoying life, doing our thing, but uh, it's time to get cracking on another podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a, an unintentional delay where we didn't quite realize that we had been gone so long. We're like, oh, crap, yeah. we better do a show sometime soon. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we're here. We're back. Yeah, there you go. Right. So, yeah, it is not over. 300 was not the last episode ever. No, um, not 301 could be. Who knows? I <laughs> never know what's going to happen, but uh, the uh, for now, not promised. Yeah. Yeah, f- yeah, but for now, 301, and uh, and we'll continue to move on as we 400. We can get to 400, right? I think we we, we to probably can get to 400. Yeah. 500. So I'm not promising 500. Right, that's, <laughs> that's, that might be that's hard. Fair. That's fair. That's we'll fair. see what happens. Who knows? Yeah, it's great. We're getting old, so yeah. you know, it's, it's tough. yeah, so. Yeah, speaking of the future not being promised, we have a excellent uh, show uh, today. Um, teams that added a big star but severely underperformed. Uh, found a lot of interesting stories here. You have two examples this year. Um, one being the Nets. You know, they were swept in the first round after they gained and lost James Harden. Kind of were expected to get Ben Simmons to replace him, but that never really happened, at least not this year. And then also the Lakers winning only 33 games after adding Russell Westbrook. I, I think both teams coming into the season, there was at least somewhat expectations, you know, if not a championship, certainly deep playoff run. I mean, you know, the Lakers, there are probably some warning signs with Westbrook, but I, I, I don't think anyone thought they were going to win 33 games. Like I think they at least were going to be like a solid playoff team. So yeah. Yeah. I remember discussing the Lakers in the offseason with my, my buddies and I had a few bets actually. My friends were like, Oh, I think they're going to win the championship. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bet that they're not going to win the championship. <laughs> and that was our bet though. It was just like right. the championship or not, not like, right. I think they're really going to win. I mean, nobody was like, I wonder if this team's going to struggle to even be 500. It was like, nobody. Right. I mean, yeah, you thought, okay, yeah. Is this a championship core? Maybe not, but it still has LeBron. It still has Anthony Davis, and you know maybe you get something out of what. Yeah, I don't think anybody expected thirty-three games for the Lakers. So yeah, I, I did. I did cash in on those uh, championship or no championship bets uh, yeah. for my friends. But yeah, they that they paid me in like you know <laughs> with two months left in the season was uh, uh, an unforeseen uh, 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 result of what the whole season was. Sure, absolutely, absolutely, yes. So uh, we're talking about a handful of teams here. Uh, we are not going to count the 2004 Lakers. Hey, they were the number two seed. They made the finals. You know, right, they, right. They really I see good. them. Yeah. I, I see them a lot in these lists, and that that team was like very yeah. close to winning a championship. Yes, they all right. wanted to punch each other, but like that's that's happened before too. Title teams have done that. Like, I was that team long for the world? No, but they very right. very likely could have if they just decided that they didn't want to like really really punch each other in the finals like they probably could have won or if Malone doesn't get hurt there's a good chance you know not taking anything away from that Pistons team that was great but yeah they don't they don't belong in this list at all they don't belong in any list of like disappointing teams because they were really really good and they almost won the title so Uh, yeah they just Uh, all hated each other and wanted to see each other so so I I think we we have a we're we're trying to get true disappointments here like yeah the the hype was high you know there was expected to you know be a championship team or at least you know be be up there and they really severely underperformed so so hopefully uh hopefully listeners hey you agree you don't agree let us know we 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 always enjoy uh yeah we maybe miss team maybe we're stretching here this was one team here which honestly i think is a little bit of a stretch but i think it's interesting story and that's what we're all about so 
should, should be a good time. Is that what we do? Interesting stories? Yeah. Hmm. All right. I believe so. Yes. We I, try. I, believe I guess we try idea. that. Yeah, we try. Right. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm just sometimes, sometimes we tell boring stories, but hopefully in an interesting <laughs> way. So. But you learn. Yeah, you learn from the boring stories. Hopefully. You learn. So. Sometimes you do. Yes. Yes. Boredom can be a great motivator. <laughs> so we're going to start off with, yeah, why not start off with 1971 Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, my Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. You know, wonderful. This is their third year in Atlanta. They've been a solid team for the last couple of years. They made two straight division finals. This this is before conferences. So basically they were they were one step away from the NBA finals. You know, they had Lou Hudson, you know, a- excellent score. They had Bill Bridges, great rebounder. They had Walt Bellamy's, you know, one of the better centers of his league, of his time. Walt Hazard was a good guard, you know. Um, they were a really solid team. You know, kept bumping into the Lakers in the division finals, but hey, they were they were really good. Then they add Pete Maravich, you know, one of the most hyped college stars ever, averaged 44 points per game in his career at LSU, you know, a flashy play, you know, awesome highlight reel passes, you know, a guy who's absolutely, you know, is he a great player? It's questionable. Is he a star? Absolutely. He is a star, you know, gets a lot of people really excited, especially white people, you know, and oh, yeah. that's a uh, great way yeah. to hope. Yeah. The one, yeah, the, great, one way of the first great way to hopes of, of, you know, yeah, it's not, the league hasn't been, you know, quote unquote, Black for a lot of years, but they were still way. Oh my God! Okay, we've had Russell, we've had what, we've had all these. Okay, we right. need to get another guy. We need to get another. And 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 Maravich was that guy. I mean, I think right. not even with like hushed tones, like straight up, like considered. Yeah. Oh, thank God, we finally have a white superstar again in the league. So yeah, it was it was definitely that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And and yeah. And the Hawks were very much. I you know their their dominant players were all African American players. So yeah, they were very much a black team. Uh and. You know, there was, as we'll get into, there's a lot of, um, there was a lot of focus on that during, during the time that they were there. Um, so yeah, you know, they've got coach Richie Guerin, you know, they've got pretty much, they bring everybody back uh, from the prior year, adding Maravich. Their only major loss was two-time all-star Joe Caldwell, who went to the ABA. Um, he wasn't like a huge star, but he was definitely a good player and an important to the team. And, you know, and they ended up missing him quite a bit, it turns out. So but you think, yeah, adding a budding superstar to a team with a bunch of like, you know, really good players, but no real stars seems like a decent bet. That's, you know, that's worked in the past and has worked, would work in the NBA in the future. But for this team, not so much. No. They go from, yeah, from 48 wins to 36 wins. They do make the playoffs, but only like in really screwy circumstances, which we'll get into. But they made each other miserable, though, like they were kind of doing that before, even before Pistol joined the squad. So, you know, they were a, a, bit of a cantankerous bunch so uh, that part of it i mean definitely that dynamic added to it but they already were a little bit like that um they made the playoffs it was so this was the first year of conferences you know the, before they the, you know, there were two divisions now there were two conferences with four divisions and each division you know, you, you had two teams that were going to make it regard you know the, the top two teams in each division so the hawks make it they win 36 games the Celtics, who finished third in their division, don't make it. They win 44 games. So that's obviously you know, pretty scurry. The West is even worse. I was going to say the West yeah. is even more galling. Right. That the Phoenix Suns win 48 games and don't make it, but the 41 and 41 San Francisco Warriors do make it. So, yeah, uh, brutal, right. brutal, brutal, brutal stuff. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And, the and, Pistons. The Pistons are right. 45 wins in the Midwest. The entire Midwest division has more than 45 wins, but they can only have two representatives, and they have the Bucks, who are very, very good. They have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and yeah. the Bulls, who have a very good year at 51 and, and 31. And, yeah, the Suns at 48 wins out of the playoffs. The Pistons at 45 wins out of the playoffs. And yet you have the 36-win Atlanta Hawks over here in the East and the right. 41-win uh, Pacific Division representative San Francisco Warriors 
uh, making it. So yeah, rough, uh, rough uh, playoff format here. I get what they were going for, but right. you could pretty much see from day one. Oh crap, this isn't going to work. But yeah, they they ended up. Uh, I think that they had like two or three years of this format before they went to like a more normal playoff format. So um, at least the top team had to make it. But like you know, they they would they would choose the otherwise it would just be like the you know. It, it, they, they didn't end up screwing teams over that much after this was the by far the worst year of that, right this is when they really tried to make these divisions matter and, and, right. and we see that now i mean they, they don't matter at all like they pretty much especially in today's nba matter like almost none whatsoever uh divisions other than you know who, who you play a little bit but even that i wonder if in the next few years uh, we're going to see that kind of melt away uh, a, a bit as because like mlb is doing that i think next year they're starting where Everyone's doing balanced schedules, so it, it literally does not matter what where you play, what division you play, and anything like that. And I do wonder if the NBA starts; it gets kind of close to that uh, pretty soon as well. But yeah, this year they really wanted to make divisions matter. A couple years later, they're going to make conferences matter more, uh, and then everyone's kind of wondering when eventually they might just let all of that go. But I, I don't know. We've had we've had uh, shows about that kind of playoff changes and, and, sure. and playoff format changes and whatnot. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of. I enjoy the conferences at least a little bit, but I do not enjoy divisions because who cares? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The Midwest, the Western, I, I do always love the Western Conference Midwest division though, which is uh, Detroit. <laughs> when I think West, Western America, I think of right. Detroit, Michigan. Well, sure, so. I, I mean, I guess, I guess the Bucks and the Bulls and the Pistons kind of fit together in a division. The Suns, definitely not. Yeah. That's a uh, rough, uh, yeah. rough, uh, rough uh, travel. It didn't affect yeah. the Pistons. They were still pretty good, but yeah, rough travel to have to go to Phoenix as often as they had to go to Phoenix. But right. Yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. when you have a team in Cincinnati and a team in Buffalo and a team in Baltimore, I mean, yeah, you're gonna have to. That's a lot of East Coast. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and hey, I, the Baltimore and Atlanta were stuck in the West for quite a while. But yeah, this was right, the first right, year right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Everybody, everybody got screwed over by yeah. that. So yes, so yeah, so <clears throat> expectations for the uh, for the Hawks. You know, they are definitely uh, they're high, but hey, things kind of go sour quickly. Um, an excellent article from the time from Sport Magazine, which is brought to us by from WayDowntown.com. Um, yeah, basically, it's kind of just talking about the teams. Like, hey, they, the thought is, you know, Maravich, if he can make the adjustment to the pros quickly, they absolutely, you know, this team could be a dynasty. I mean, they're, they're so, you know, well-balanced. You know, they got, you know, Lou Hudson's one of the best shooters. You know, they Walt Bellamy and Bill Bridges, excellent rebounders. And Walt Hazard and Joe Caldwell, just great playmakers before, you know, Caldwell um, absolutely leaves, you know. See advanced season ticket sales double. So there's excitement. You know, they're fairly new to Atlanta and Atlanta's, you know, a growing, thriving state. It's like, yeah, pro basketball can take its place in Atlanta. You know, opening games scheduled for network television, but training cap happens and eh, things get a little weird. Um, Bill Bridges, he's was was fired as team captain and reinstated only hours later. Joe Caldwell has a holdout eventually, and you know, he he wants more money. He eventually goes to the ABA, you know, just like uh, Zemo Beatty had the previous year, you know, one of their best centers. So uh, the uh, Hawks have a history of not paying their guys very much, except for Maravich, of course. Um, you know, Lou Hudson has an injury, you know, Hazard just, you know, kind of struggles there a little bit. You know, obviously Maravich is playing his position. Uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit, uh, you know, of nerves for there. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and, you know, two months into the season, the Hawks, uh, had the fourth worst record in the league. Only the three expansion teams had worst records. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they struggle. Definitely, you know, there's some bitterness among the team at the attention that Maravich gets. It's, it's kind of a mix because, you know, I think they all sort of understand the situation. Um, it, you know, uh, they resent 
it a little bit. Some of them resent him a little bit. Um, you know, the Hawks president, Bob Cousins, says, like, oh, maybe we overdid the advanced billing on Maravich. You know, maybe if I'd had more experience in basketball, we could avoid some of the problems that we've had. Um, you know, there's a uh, Sports Illustrated article toward the end of that season. They do end up sort of rallying. They do make the playoffs, as we mentioned, 30, with 36 wins. You know, their their record is at least not fourth worst in the league at that point. Um, you know, but everyone says they had this is a really grueling season. It's really hard. Everyone says, like, uh, it's, it's it's pretty bad. Well, Hazard says, hey, when things are going bad, the whole air is bad. It becomes even hard to live together. You know, and, and you know, Maravich does things that's, you know, outlined here. And also there's a great book on um, – uh, I've got pistol on uh, on Maravich that I recommend yeah, everybody read. Really, really but yeah, yeah, and Maravich does stuff like you know, like picks up the check for his teammates. It's like, oh, okay, I'm making so much more money, I need to pick up the t- the check for my teammates. But then, like some of his teammates kind of resent that. It's like you know, like oh, he's like, is he trying to like show us up, or is right. he trying to he's like, also yeah, 23 years old here. You know what I mean? So sure. it's like, yeah, yeah. you got this 23 year old superstar that's making more money than all these veterans. That's Ooh. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah, tough to it was, live with that. It's, right. it's there's a psychological thing that you know sometimes it works. You know sometimes if you have the right guy and the right star and the right team and all that sort of stuff, it it works. But yeah, in this case, like you said, it was already kind of a cantankerous bunch, and now they're all scrapping together. You know whatever money they can they can make in in the NBA as professional basketball players, and, and then this you know white superstar comes in. He's getting all the hype. He's getting all the money, and 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 yeah, it just it it wasn't the right crew. He probably wasn't the right guy, and it just. Yeah, I, I totally see how, yeah, him coming in and saying, oh, uh, don't worry, guys, I'll pick up the bill is like, all right, dude, get out of here. You know, yeah, it's yeah. tough. It, 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 there's a psychological thing for sure there that, that you could totally see from, you know, the standpoint of, hell, if it happened in your job, you might do the same thing if some, you know, hotshot 22-year-old executive comes in and is like, hey, I'm buying lunch for everybody. You're like, yeah, screw this guy. Like, You know, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I, I totally get it. Right. And as we know now, Maravich was like a an extremely weird combination of like psychologically tormented, but also like extremely pampered and catered to yes. like, right, you know, right, right. So that was a real, you know, um, psychological thing. And yeah, there's just the natural like adjusting to the NBA as like, you know, a, a lead guard and how, you know, there's. Um, some guys made that adjustment right away. Obviously, Oscar Robertson was awesome right away. But you know, even somebody like Jerry West and or you know Walt Frazier, who you know became among the best players in the game. You know, they, they early in the career took them a couple years or so to really figure out and and actually be like you know uh, a star player. So um, yeah, and then um, there's a great uh, Dick Mata quote uh, describing um, Pete Maravich's. Defense is bearing considerable resemblance to the Lend Lease program. So a, you don't get enough <laughs> Lend Lease. A very seventies joke references. right there. I love yeah, it. right. Yes, that is the yeah. most Dick uh, Mata nineteen seventy one quote ever. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Exactly. So the Lend Lease program. The Lend Lease program. Hey, you bring a forties reference into a uh, you know seventies joke. It's a good time. But that's yeah, the dad joke of the time. You know, that's oh, like God. that's like me trying to make you know jokes to my daughter about like eighties uh, music. You know? Yeah, so, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, at least bro. yeah, at least bro. Anyway, so, um, yeah, um, and, and, and you know, so I mean, indefinitely, he really he had a tough time with the expectations. Uh, you know, he's dubbed the miracle man, as we said. Uh, you know, he and he when he, you know, he struggled early, and then like suddenly he's getting booed by the team, he's taking you know, he gets a lot of pressure. Um, you know, the, the news media, the fans, everything. Um, you know, he says, well, like, yeah, because when somebody signs a step of contract, you're automatically going to have resentment because it's part of human nature. It's something you have to adjust to, too. There's nothing you can really do about it. You try to earn respect and maybe have to accept you as what you are. Um, but, you know, definitely will felt that pressure immediately right away and struggled with it to 
an extent. Yeah, I mean, now, you know, to give it a little bit of context, like he was still, like, I mean, he, statistically, he's one of the better guards in the league still. Yeah. Like, he, oh, wasn't, yeah. he certainly wasn't, like, a bad player by any stretch. But, um, you know, and, and it, there's always kind of been, but he averaged, like, you know, 23 um, points per game that season. You know, I think he was second in rookie of the year. Um, but I don't think he won rookie of the year, but he was second in rookie of the year. But, I mean, he, he still was statistically a, um, you know, performed well in a lot of ways, uh, but, you know, made the all rookie team, obviously. So it wasn't like he was a complete disaster, but, you know, in terms of like matching the hype, it was going to be extremely difficult mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, end of the season. Yeah. They, they ended up losing to the defending champion Knicks in the first round four to one. Maravich had 22 points per game, although only four twelve true shooting, which was bad. Even then 5.2 rebounds, four point in assists. Um, interestingly enough, but it just kind of shows you the difference um, in the league from now to then the, the, the Hawks literally play, um, I mean, well, they, they play seven guys and, but, oh, but Jerry Chambers, their seventh guy plays 22 minutes in four games during the series. So really they play six guys, um, <laughs> in the series and now the, you know, the, the Knicks play, they play 10 guys, but like, you know, um, they, they, you know, they really, it just how heavily they relied on like their top five or six guys, uh, at this point. And, you know, there's still most teams now, you know, have an eight man rotation, but the the minutes certainly are balanced more than, than now than they are. Then it's just, it's interesting to look at. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's all, well, what you're trying to say is today's players are weak and, uh, and, I am. And, they yeah, are weak. They're, weak, they they're pampered, cowards. they're babies, yeah. millennials. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the land lease program for all of them. You know what I mean? They right. just want they, freebies. They don't want they, handouts. They all <laughs> just want the land lease program. Absolutely. It's, it's all the kids care That's about. What you've been trying to do. So you're trying to tell your daughter, you know, don't, don't become one of right. those. You know, land lease program people. <laughs> right. Yes. She's like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Earn your earn your lease. Yeah. Yes, right. Don't expect it to be lended to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, go away. <laughs> I guess I will go away. Yes. Yeah, so. uh, speaking of going away, I guess the 1999 Houston Rockets. Oh, yeah. They went away. So they went away very quickly. Uh, for yeah. the purposes of this, and, and what's unfortunate is this team sometimes does get lumped into like this whole Rockets era. The 1997 Rockets were good as hell. They added Charles Barkley. They already had Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon. That team was solid, though. They won 57 games. They made it to the Western Conference Finals. They were a, what, a John Stockton, like, miracle three away from maybe making the NBA Finals. Like, we're not counting them. You know, we're not. Th- that right. team is really, really good. They did not disappoint. They were fine. Uh, the 1989 Rockets, oh, yeah, they disappointed. They uh, added Scottie Pippen. Yeah. And this deal was not finalized until January due to the NBA lockout. Uh, but was a huge move for both the Bulls and the Rockets. It, it, it first for the Bulls signified that this competitive window was officially done. And everybody knew that it was done. But, yeah, after Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson are done and, and, and Michael Jordan retires for the second time, Phil Jackson retires for the first of, of many times, uh, this was the final nail in the coffin, that this, is, this thing is done. This thing is over. Uh, and, you know... Much had been made about Pippen and his contract with the Bulls, and it was a big part of the Last Dance documentary and stuff, and how he was, you know, woefully underpaid for for many, many years. And regardless of your thoughts on that and and, and whatnot, uh, Chicago and GM uh, Jerry Krause, I think, did a pretty solid thing for Pippen at the end of here, doing a sign-in trade as opposed to simply letting Pippen leave for free agency. Because by doing the sign and trade, they were able to give him a, a much bigger deal. Five years, $67.2 million, uh, with $15 million in incentives as well, thanks to bird rights and some other wrinkles uh, in signing your own players. Now, how much credit do we want to give them for saying, hey, we'll pay you, but by pay you, I mean another team will pay you. <laughs> we'll just do right. that. Like, yeah. I guess they could have just said, fuck you, go away. But at least they made it so the Houston Rockets had to pay him more money. So whatever, what, for whatever you want to give credit to, at least they did that. And at least Pippen was able to make a little bit more money. Uh, and the Bulls, 
in exchange got quite literally not. They got Roy Rogers and a second round pick. So they uh, pretty much said, we're good. We just, just take this guy. We just want to be really, really bad. And, and it worked out very well. They were really, really bad for a lot of years. Uh, Pippen would say, I would like to thank the Chicago Bulls, the great people of the city of Chicago, and all of my teammates for 11 wonderful seasons. I'd also like to personally thank the Bulls for helping me through this period of free agency. I wish them the best because that is what Chicago deserves. So there you go. So anyway, um, to bring Pippen into the fold here, the Rockets asked Charles Barkley, a free agent at that time, hey, we still want to bring you, we still want to keep you, but would you mind taking a little bit of a pay cut? So Charles Barkley has talked about this on, on numerous shows and numerous things, uh, including Bill Simmons's Any Given Wednesday show. He says, quote, uh, the only year that I was fat, I forget, I don't know the context of like what question was asked, but probably like, hey, what are you making people saying that you got fat? Because Pippen would always say, oh, his fat butt. He would always refer to Barkley as fat butt or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this didn't go well, in case you're wondering. No, it, is, yeah. <laughs> spoiler, it doesn't go well, uh, uh, considering one of the players calls the other guy fat butt all the time. But <laughs> So uh, he says, the only year that I was fat was my last year in Houston because they had promised me $12 million when I showed up. The contract was only for $8 million. And I said, what happened to my other $4 million? And they said, well, we've just decided to keep it. So what happened here is that Barkley and the Rockets had agreed to a $12 million deal, but that was before the lockout, so they couldn't really do anything. Well, the Rockets said that they were kind of spooked, and, and I think all teams were kind of spooked by the recent Minnesota Timberwolves, Joe Smith, uh, uh, kerfuffle, whatever you want to bring, you know, so they don't want to put anything in writing yet, especially not during the lockout, especially not under the table deals, anything like that. So there was nothing in writing. It was just kind of a verbal, hey, yeah, we'll give you $12 million. Okay, when the lockout's over, we'll, we'll get back and, and we'll put pen to paper there. So when, when the lockout's over and Barkley goes, okay, I'd like my $12 million, they then said, well, now we have Scottie Pippen, so would you mind taking less? Barkley yeah. eventually says, sure, I guess. It's going to get a Scottie Pippen. We're hopefully going to win a championship. It's one of my final few years in the league. That's fine. So there were some issues getting the contract all the way ironed out for Scottie Pippen. But finally, on January 23rd, 1999, it is official. Scottie Pippen says, I'll have no problem putting on this jersey. I'm very comfortable with it. In fact, I'm going to sleep in it tonight. So uh, yeah. those Did jerseys he, suck. So I hope he doesn't yeah, sleep had, in them. Right. <laughs> had he ever seen those jerseys? I mean, I yeah. would have. Like, I would I, be caught dead sleeping right. or living in that in those stink-ass jerseys. So Right. Yeah. Oh, God. But anyway, uh, yeah. this a new Rockets team seemed uh, doomed pretty much from the start. So Barkley not getting the money he thought he deserved because they bring in Scottie Pippen. Plus, it was going to be a weird season no matter what. The lockout had caused a very unique and different than usual schedule for the NBA. One that in aging and, uh, well... What's the best terminology here for Charles Barkley at this time? Portly fella, uh, Charles. Yeah. He was he was certainly yeah. Husky. Uh, Husky. Yes. He wasn't 1993 Phoenix Suns Charles. But when when you think uh, it's always hilarious when they when you go back and watch like 80s Barkley and that was his nickname was like the round mound of rebound or whatever and you're like right. that guy's in like tremendous shape like <laughs> yeah. like yeah sure he ain't, you know not great but look at him he's still like and yeah. then you see like this Barkley you're like oh I get it for this yeah. Barkley like, yeah. you know especially post lockout where Barkley was not the only player to that pretty much assumed the lockout was never going to end and then they said oh it's ending and we're playing in a couple weeks, and they went, ooh. Oops, so about yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> I have uh, been eating and not playing basketball, so I'm a little... So he was not great. He says, quote, I can't play three games in three nights. I can tell you that right now. I don't want to have sex three nights in a row. I definitely don't want to play three games in three nights. So... <laughs> There you go. Uh, there you hey, go. the money's back again because uh, Charles Barkley also said, I was laying on the trainer's table and Matt Bullard came in and he kicked me off of it. He says that he makes more money than I do, so he has first dibs on the table. What kind of league is this when Matt Bullard makes more money than I do? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
that's a, not a bad question. I, I mean, he's not wrong, but uh, right. yeah, that, that tells you where we're, where we're at with this season, just in case you're wondering uh, where things are going. This is his teammates that he's talking about here. So uh, other changes to right. the team as well. Clyde Drexler smartly is like, deuces, I'm out. This isn't going to work out very well, so I'm leaving. Uh, Antoine Carr, the Utah Jazz NBA Finals legend, is signed uh, and brought in. But uh, otherwise, things get pretty consistent from the team that uh, that disappointed last year going 41-41. and 41. They lost in the first round, but uh, things were changing. They were bringing in Scottie Pippen, one of the, you know, one of the great players in the NBA, second, you know, guy, you know, had led to the Bulls or was a big part of the Bulls winning, you know, six titles in eight years or whatever. So, yeah, he's, he's back. He's here. Uh, Drexler's gone, but Hakeem is still there. Barkley's still there. Everything is still going to work. Uh, they start pretty well. They're six and two. They, they lose five of their next six games, and they sputter into the end of the first month uh, at eight and six. They get a hot month of March, including a nine-game win streak. Hey, things are okay. Uh, and they go into April 22 and nine. They end the season at 31 and 19, third in the competitive NBA Midwest division. Uh, the team finishes 14 in SRS. Fifth in offensive rating, unfortunately 15th in defensive rating, not that great. Uh, and Charles Barkley, despite it all, plays really, really well. He averages 16.1 points per game, 12.3 rebounds per game uh, in 42 games. He becomes the second player in NBA history uh, after Wilt Chamberlain to accumulate 23,000 points, 12,000 rebounds, and 4,000 assists in his career. Another Wilt stat there, of course. There's always a Wilt stat. Yeah, um, always Wilt stat, yeah. Hakeem Olajuwon, another really good season for him. I mean, there's always this idea that he had started to get really old. That was, I mean, that was still that was coming in like the Toronto years, but he was still really good here. Uh, he plays in all 50 games. He averages 18.9 points per game, uh, 9.6 rebounds per game. Uh, and they also get some great contributions from young players like uh, Michael Dickerson, who has 10.9 points per game. I completely forgot about this, that Catino Mobley was on this team at this time. To, uh, 9.9 yeah. points per game. Othella Harrington, 9.8 points per game. And Michael Dickerson, a, a, a renaissance man, shoots 43% from three and takes a lot of threes. He's like, I'm going to take these threes and I'm going to make them. And they're like, mm, okay. All right. Sure. <laughs> is hey, that going to work though? <laughs> like, yeah. So what's going to happen though? He's like, well, I'm going to shoot yeah. it from this line, and that's going to be worth more than two, and I'm going to yeah. make them more often than not. And they're like, mm, okay. okay. I mean, right. <laughs> if if you want to try it, you can try it. But uh, sure. what about Scotty though? I have not mentioned Scotty Pippen and all those uh, names that I mentioned. Well, that's because he plays in all 50 games. That's good. Uh, and that surprises a lot of people because he had battled some major back injuries during his last year with the Bulls. He played in only 44 games and pretty much, you know was a non-factor during some of the NBA Finals games. But despite all that, uh, Pippen averages 19.9 points per game, or 19.1 points per game in 1998. Last season with the Bulls, 6.6 win shares. In 1999, though, something just happened. He scores only 14.5 points per game, his lowest since his sophomore year back in 1989. Uh, Pippen went from shooting 44.7% from the field in his finals bowl season to a career-low 43.2% as a Rocket. Uh, he did increase his rebounding total, and overall it wasn't a bad season, but he was definitely not the superstar that Houston thought they were getting. He still made the NBA All-Defensive First Team. Uh, that was his eighth time doing that. So anyway... The stage is set, Rockets versus Lakers, first round of the playoffs. Uh, Lakers, a very emerging team with Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Uh, they were going through some of their own turmoil as well as Del Harris is fired and Kurt Rambis takes over for a little bit. We're not quite in the Phil Jackson era yet. That is coming very, very soon. Uh, but it's Rockets-Lakers. Barkley plays great in these playoffs. He averages 23.5 uh, points per game, 52.9% shooting, and 13.8 rebounds per game. This is going to, unfortunately, be his final postseason. Uh, Olajuwon does struggle a little bit. He has trouble guarding uh, and scoring on peak Shaq. 13.3 uh, points per game, 7.3 
uh, rebounds per game. Pippen, he plays well, though. Uh, definitely better than his regular season. He has 18.3 points per game, 11.8 rebounds per game, and 5.5 assists per game. So that's really good. Uh, what's not really good is he shoots 39 or 32.9% from the field. So not great. Uh, on the flip side, Shaq, 29, <laughs> 29.5 points per game, 10.3 rebounds per game. Uh, and both Glenn, uh, Glenn Rice and Kobe Bryant average 18 a game as well. So uh, Houston loses game one by just one. They lose game two by a pretty healthy margin. They win game three pretty easily. Then they lose game four by 10 to end their hopeful season in a whimper. But that's all right. You can just run this thing back, right? Well, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because uh, oh. shit hits the fan almost immediately. They're eliminated. Pippen says, I'm out. I want to be traded. I'm done with the Rockets. He wants to join his old Bulls coach, Phil Jackson, who has now joined the Lakers. So a proto Durant over there, you know, saying, hey, I lost to them in the playoffs, but I want to join them because that looks yeah. like a lot more fun cool. than whatever yeah. we're doing here. Uh, and that does not go over well with, uh, well, one Charles Barkley does not love that. He says, for him to want to leave after one year, it disappointed me greatly. The Rockets went out of the way to get Scotty and the fans have treated him well. So I was just disappointed in him. Pippen, uh, not exactly gracious about this as well. He says, I wouldn't give Charles Barkley an apology at gunpoint. He can never expect an apology from me. If anything, he owes me an apology for coming to play with his fat butt. So there you go. Uh, Charles then said, all right, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. He says, quote, I shouldn't have listened. I should have listened to Michael Jordan a year ago when he said, oh, sorry, this is Pippen again. Uh, one more time. Uh, I probably should have listened to Michael Jordan a year ago when he said that Charles will never win a championship because he doesn't show any dedication. He's a very selfish guy. He doesn't show the desire to want to win. That's my reason for wanting to get away from playing with him because he just doesn't show the dedication. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. So that is uh, Pippen is yeah. traded uh, by the Rockets to the Portland Trailblazers uh, in October of 1999 on exchange for Stacey Ogman, Kelvin Cato, Ed Gray, Carl Rogers, Brian Shaw, and Walt Williams, where then uh, he'll join another team that's, uh, well, <laughs> we, we can't call them. I mean, they were, again, like one horrific comeback or a comeback uh, from uh, making the, the NBA Finals, but another. Right. A pretty disappointing team, but don't belong on this list because they were pretty damn sure. good despite uh, all the disappointment. But yeah. yeah, things didn't go great in Portland either. And then Pippen eventually is, you know, we'll go back to the Bulls and then he'll retire. So yeah, and, and I would say like regular season, the '99 Rockets. You know, they went from you know being a 500 team to a team. You know, in the abbreviated season, they won 31 out of 50 games. So yeah. you know, like regular season wise, like yeah, they were definitely better, but they you know disappointed. You know, only um, they lost to the Lakers in the uh, first round. It definitely didn't, you know, beat the hype. Um, so the Matt Ballard and Charles Barkley thing, I dug into that a little bit. Um, so it is true. So Barkley, apparently he made 1 million in the 99 season, but then made 9 million in the 2000 season. So I don't know if they, yeah, I think there was some, how weird... that actually happened. Yeah. yeah, there was, I was trying to figure that out as well. It, see, it seems like so... there was some weird kind of salary cap manip manipulation thing that they were doing there where yeah like the contract that we talked about was still you know worth whatever amount of money but like for, the, for some reason that year he only made a million because they wanted to you know get Pippen in there it was all right. done because like they brought in Pippen they obviously couldn't like financially it didn't quite work when so, you give when you're when you're bringing in Scotty Pippen at 50 million or whatever you know the five year or whatever the hell we said uh for him and you're giving you know Roy Rogers back like something's got to get there in that in that salary cap thing sure, so sure. yeah it was hard to find exactly what it was uh, but it was some sort of Salary cap manipulation or something right. going on there. Where we're sure. where Barkley is technically only making a million that year, even though you know his contract is worth a little bit more. 
Right, and Matt Ballard made one point three million. That at least according to Basketball Reference, so it wasn't like so. Yeah, technically it was true, but over the life of the contract, Charles was still making right, more. Right. So it wasn't quite that you know that crazy. But it wasn't a Jim McElvey uh, or uh, right. uh, what is it, Sean Kemp situation? Sean where, Kemp. Where right. It's like quite literally yeah. making more than me. It's like what the hell are we doing here? Get out of here! Right, exactly. So yeah, so um, yeah, no, that was that's definitely interesting. I wonder. Um, if six for one is a record in NBA trades, there can't be many more, you know, like I, I wonder if there's ever been a seven guys for one <laughs> yeah, guy, a trade in the NBA. I mean, I, uh, I wouldn't think so, but we'll have to, uh, have to dig into that one. See if that one has um, ever happened before. Yeah. And you definitely like, you know, the one guy who I don't think we've, we, you know, you talked briefly about, but Olajuwon, like, I mean, Olajuwon was um, like, yeah, he was still pretty good, but no longer an all-star, but yeah, I mean, Pippen was 33, Barkley was 35, Olajuwon was 36. I mean, at some point, you know, these guys are going to uh, fade, and they didn't have a whole lot of depth. I mean, you know, they had solid years, as you mentioned, from, you know, from Dickerson, Mobley, Alphil Harrington, but there weren't a lot of guys here who were, you know, really, you know, contributing a whole lot. You know, they, they had Dale Antoine, Carr was 37, yeah, they had Eddie Johnson for three games, who was 39. You know, they were... They were an old team and they didn't have a lot of depth, which is, you know, one thing you sacrifice when you bring in Scotty Pippen and, and, you know, trade him for a lot of guys is, yeah, they didn't have a whole lot of um, of depth there. And, and, and yeah, Pippen just wasn't good enough really to, um, you know, to take them over the top. He was still, he was pretty good, but, um, but definitely, you know, was, was, had fallen short of being a superstar. Yeah. And just, yeah, the cantankerous part of everybody just right. hating each other. Every, every <laughs> yeah, other, right? yeah. The Pippen exactly. Barkley thing. Yeah. Just, did not work from day one, and yeah, you do kind of right. feel bad for Hakeem, who, who at that time had, had pretty much mellowed out. Like you know, Hakeem had had his, uh, right. you know, his ups and downs. But yeah, at this point, he you know he's won two titles. He's just kind of like he's probably just like, come on, guys, like let's go. Let's just go. What are we doing here? But uh, yeah, it ended up not working out very well for Houston. I mean, they were able to get back competitive a couple years later, so uh, it wasn't too bad. You know, obviously with Francis and Mobley, and then bringing in Yao Ming or whatever. So they'd had some lean years, but you know, they've for sure. the most part been pretty solid for a couple decades at this point. You know, until no, the most recent time, <laughs> where they're not very competitive at all right now. So they're pretty, uh, pretty terrible. But yeah, yeah. So next we have, and this is the one that is a bit of a stretch, but but hear me out. The 1975 Memphis Sounds. These they played in the ABA. You so many um, people, listeners here, may not have heard about the Memphis Sounds or do know very little about the Memphis Sounds. You may. Uh, recall that the uh, Grizzlies a couple years ago they busted out the Memphis Sounds um, uniforms. They're beautiful looking uniforms. Oh yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Um, so you know they they were basically an expansion team. You know with a, a, a new name again. They've been the Tams and the Pros previously. They became the Sounds. Much better name. Great uniforms as we mentioned. Um, new ownership. You know they had Charlie Finley as their owner, and that, that did not. You know, Charlie Finley is a famous owner of the Oakland Athletics who is known for being extremely cheap and, um, you know, and, and not a good steward of a professional sports team. Memphis, it went far worse than it went in Oakland because at least Oakland won things and Memphis uh, did not. But, you know, um, Mike Storen, who was the NBA commissioner or the ABA commissioner, excuse me, and had, you know, led franchises. He, he led the Pacers, you know, who became a dynasty of the ABA, led the uh, Kentucky Colonels, you know, who were an excellent team as well. Um, really thought like, hey, Memphis can work here. So they decided, hey, we're going to bring in three of the, we're gonna revamp the entire team. We're going to bring in three of the top four players from the Pacers dynasty. They last won the title in 73. They nearly made the 74 finals, Roger Brown, Mel Daniels, and Freddie Lewis. And this is, 
the best comparison I can kind of think of is basically like imagine, you know, the Orlando Magic getting Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andre Iguodala, you know, from the Warriors. <laughs> right, that, right. Yeah. That, that's kind of what we're looking at here. You yeah, know, that's like, a good yeah. comp. Yeah, but getting them like, you know, in another year or two. And it's just like, all right, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, probably yeah. fine. Like, it probably will be pretty good, yeah, right? Helpful, like, yeah. <laughs> like, right. all right, like, it's yeah. weird, but all right. We'll sure. That. So, yeah, and Mel Daniels, you know, he'd been a, you know, again, the Pacers, they won three championships. They, you know, they've been to a bunch of finals. Um, you know, Mel Daniels had twice been an MVP, uh, you know, Freddie Lewis, one of the better guards in the league, three-time all-star Roger Brown, you know, one of the great forward, you know, um, three-time all ABA, you know, four-time all-star, you know, but, uh, you know, these guys, you know, they were in their thirties, uh, early thirties, but that was, uh, you know, old for a professional athlete at the time, older than it might seem today. And yeah, they, they finished only 27 and 57 had a negative 4.9 SRS, which was ninth in the league. Um, you know, Brown and Lewis actually only lasted a handful of games before moving on to other teams. Daniels did last the year, although he battled injuries. Um, and you know, all, all three are pretty much near the end of their careers, as we said. Although Lewis did play a key role, uh, he ended up on the St. Louis Spirits and they let it had a key role in their huge upset of the Nets later on in the 75 playoffs, which we'll get into a little bit here. Um, yeah, because when Daniels, he got hurt after slipping in the bathtub. I think he was recovering from an injury when that happened, so he was hurt for longer. Memphis needed a center. They traded for Tom Owens, who actually ended up probably being the Sound's best player. Um, soon after, you know, Brown was traded to the Utah Stars. He ended up back at the, with the Pacers in a much reduced role, though he did help them make the finals that year as an underdog. Uh, yeah, and then Daniels, you know, he was solid after he came back from the injury, you know, averaged um, 9.8 points, 9.0 rebounds, 16.1 PBR, but clearly, you know, he'd fallen off from no longer a MVP, never, no longer really even an all-star, but um, yeah, so bringing those guys in, and I don't think anyone expected them to be, you know, any of them to, you know, you'll be like all-stars still, you know, as great as they were, they clearly all had fallen off a little bit, but I, I think, all three of those outcomes were about as bad as you could have expected, you know, having those guys come in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's a weird, like you said, it's, it's a tough one because it is still a team that was, was pretty good, but yeah, it, it the expectations were probably higher than, than, yeah, I, I think it's very safe to say the expectations were way higher than what, what they right. got as a result. Sure. So Sure. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a great article on the Memphis sounds that remember the ABA.com, which I re- recommend a lot of good details there, but yes, I mean, Mike Storen, you know, felt like, yeah, he could turn around the Memphis franchise really, um, make, you know, make, make it viable, uh, in, and they were looking toward a merger at this point too, you know. So he thought you know, there was some thought about like, hey, we can, you know, eventually we're going to merge with the with the NBA probably. You know, let's make Memphis a team that can be part of that merger. You know, found Storen found several local investors for the team, um, including Isaac Hayes and Al Wilson of Stacks Records. You know, um, investors from Holiday Inn, you know, key local businessmen. And then in July of that year, surprise pretty much everybody by resigning as ABA commissioner, stepping in to run the team himself. Um, kind of an interesting thing to do, but yeah, they they brought in. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You know, imagine, yeah, right. Imagine, imagine, imagine yeah. in your Orlando Magic scenario. Adam, Adam Silver. Adam, Adam Silver's Silver. like, all right, you know what? I got to take over this Orlando Magic franchise and get it back yeah. on track. I'm like, what? Yeah. What are you yeah. doing? Why are you doing? I this? just, I love the Magic so much. I really believe in the Magic. I just <laughs> right. really want them to succeed. So yeah. So you know, just addition- the stoic Adam Silver while today right. I am announcing uh, yeah. my resignation as commissioner <laughs> and I am uh, accepting an offer as the, the general manager of the Orlando man. What? 
why are you doing this? You don't have to yeah. do this. Make right. wouldn't you make more money? Isn't it a lot easier and you're making more money? But I don't know. My man loves the uh, my man loved the the Memphis Sounds, and uh, hopefully Adam Silver one day loves the Orlando Magic enough to uh, uh, right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, and they had a lot. You know, they brought in a lot of ABA uh, veterans. You know, besides the top three, you know, George Carter, Rick Mount, who played pretty well there. Um, the only local, the only past player the tams player they kept was larry finch who was you know basically he was a memphis state guy so they kind of wanted a, lo a local guy other than that uh, but they had a lot of experience on their team and they had, uh, joe mulaney who was a you know um respected uh aba and nba coach he brought in you know they thought they were things were going to go well but unfortunately the sounds they lost nine of the first 10 games pretty much killing the buzz in the city for the new team and despite winning only 27 games, they did make a strong late run. They made the playoffs. They um, managed to get one win against the eventual champion, Kentucky Colonels. Could not pull off the miracle. Really interesting thing, though. They beat the Nets. I'm not sure if it was the final game. It was near the end of the season, which prevented the Nets from winning the division title. Um, the, the Nets lost a tiebreaker to the Colonels and then ended up having to face the Spirits instead of having to face the Sounds. And then the Nets were ended up being upset by the spirits, you know, who had, you know, of course, Marvin Barnes, um, who had Fred Lewis, as we talked about, you know, that was one of the bigger upsets in ABA history, but they could have avoided that by beating the sounds here. And then they would have faced the sounds in the playoffs where they more likely would have won. And now maybe they would have lost to the, you know, you know whoever they faced the next round, but interesting little dynamic there that I thought was, um, was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, uh, yeah, more from remember the ABA.com, you know, the, the basically like, yeah, the, the sounds, um, and it turned out Memphis wasn't super enthusiastic about the sounds. Obviously, the the late start, um, or the the slow start didn't help. They did get attendance up later as they started to play better, but long term, it just you know wasn't going to go well. The, the team's lease with Mid South Coliseum, you know, they didn't you know wasn't going well. The league started paying some of the bills to keep the team alive. Um, Mid South they, wrestling definitely outdrawing them for sure. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, right, no doubt. Now, honestly, maybe they should have just brought Jerry Lawler in. I was going to say, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jerry Lawler, you, you could probably you know, get you a few rebounds there. They you still, know? the Memphis Grizzlies still bring out Lawler every so often. They sure. have those wrestling yeah. days, and they're amazing. They sell yeah. out. And right. Lawler puts somebody through a table, and everybody goes nuts. Yeah. I mean, he's the yeah. king of Memphis, man. Like, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, they should know. Well, anyway, the, the new ABA commissioner gave the city, you know, the – a strict deadline of you know, June 1975 to sell 4,000 se season tickets and find new investor and get a more favorable lease. And Hey, none of that happened. So uh, yeah, they ended up uh, being hopeful, sold. As, right. Apparently. You thought it might happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, August, 1975, the sounds were sold to some businessmen in Baltimore and Hey, they had a bizarre thing where they, <laughs> the Baltimore investors were like way worse. And the, the, the Baltimore claws ended up never playing a regular season game and the uh, franchise just completely died. So, yeah. So not a good end for things, Memphis. but Hey, the things are good in Memphis now, basketball wise. So we'll, uh, yes. Yeah. As of this recording, things are going pretty well. So yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> by the time you listen to this in five years, maybe it won't be. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> Maybe they'll, uh, yeah, but maybe, hey, maybe the Orlando Magic will be good by That's now. That's true, so yeah, like, with Adam Silver at the helm and Draymond <laughs> right. Green and Clay Thompson right. leading the charge. Yeah, you're exactly. your Orlando Magic. Are being, Orlando, yeah, Orlando, Ma right. Orlando Magic dynasty. They'll be like, the, the Magic were bad? What? Yeah, I don't what? This. Jonathan yeah. Isaac wasn't the best player in the league at a point? Like, <laughs> right. What are you talking about? What are you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a bizarre timeline. I hope that, uh, I don't know if I want that. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Really. Yeah, who knows? Anyway. Yeah. All right. 
Next one here, the 2013 Los Angeles Lakers. The, now this is going to be fun, Lakers. It's going to be super fun. Was it was not fun at all, oh, ever. no, not <laughs> like, fun. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to remember if we were doing shows by then. We actually started, I believe, in August of 2014. So we would have been a year Correct. after this uh, occurred. So, yeah, almost eight years. Yeah. Jeez. God. Yeah. God. All right. But, I know. Uh, that's a long time, <laughs> yeah, man. Right. That's awesome. I know. Yeah. But uh, all right. So they had Dwight Howard and Steve Nash. And this was one of those like, oh, my God, the Lakers. What the hell? How did they pull this off? How did they right. do this? How do the Lakers once again get like the best big man in the league? They've done this. They did it with Wilt. They did it with Kareem. They did it with Shaq. And now they're doing it again with Dwight Howard. This is not fair. The league is rigged. All of this is awful. Uh, this right. is coming on, on the heels of like the Chris Paul thing where the league was like, no, 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 you can't get Chris Paul. Like, this isn't going to, like, you can't yeah. do that. Like, it was All such right. a ridiculous. And then this one, they were like, ah, we can't stop you from getting two great players. So I remember at the time, people were like, well, wait, why? Wait, well, you stopped the Paul deal, but not this one. That's, that's the level we were at here. With Dwight Howard and Steve Nash. It seems unbelievable. It seems impossible. But I assure you that it was like, oh, my God, the NBA is rigged. The Lakers, just people going nuts about this stuff. The subhead of that Sports Illustrated cover, the Now This Is Going to Be Fun, that showed Steve Nash and, and, and Dwight Howard, said, one new king of the West. The New York Times called them one of the most talented lineups in NBA history. They acquired two-time MVP Steve Nash on July 11th. Uh, for first-round picks in 2013 and 2015, and second-round picks in 2013 and 2014. Uh, Nash was slowing down at this point as he was entering his late 30s, but he was still an all-star and still pretty damn good. Uh, his final year in Phoenix, uh, he averaged 12.5 points per game, 10.7 assists per game. I put rebounds per game there. I do not believe that oh, Steve Nash not. got a double-double in points and rebounds. I believe that assist. Yeah. Uh, then shot a career high at 53.2% from the field. Uh, he wasn't MVP Nash, but he was still pretty damn good. Um Here's the uh, 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 ESPN uh, quote here. It says, In an unforeseen twist that could thrust the Los Angeles Lakers straight back into title contention, two-time NBA MVP Steve Nash has successfully negotiated a sign-and-trade deal from the Phoenix Suns to the Lakers that will team him up with Kobe Bryant. And sources also say that Nash is trying to convince longtime teammate Grant Hill, uh, one of his closest friends in the game, to also join him uh, in the Lakers. That does, does not happen, though. Uh, August 10th. It's not just Steve Nash. Now they acquire three-time Defensive Player of the Year Dwight Howard, yeah. Earl Clark, and Earl Chris Duhon. Yeah, <laughs> so Clark really. and Duhon. You can't forget about that. Yeah, yeah. Real, the real the, the real X factor in that whole deal is Earl Clark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is a massive, massive, insane, stupid trade. It's a four-team multiplayer trade. It is the Lakers are going to send all-star center Andrew Bynum to the Philadelphia 76ers, which I assume went well, and I'm not going to look it up. I'll just yeah, assume sure. that went Bynum there, on yeah. the Sixers was great. So yeah. we'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, who will also receive shooting guard Jason Richardson from the Magic. So the Sixers are getting Bynum and Jason Richardson. The Sixers are going to send Andre Iguodala to the Denver Nuggets. The Magic, your Orlando Magic, are going to receive Aaron Aflalo, yeah. Al Harrington, yeah. Nikola Vucevic, Mo Harkless, Josh McRoberts, Krishna Yanga, and a first-round pick from either the Nuggets or the New York Knicks in 2014, a protected first-round pick from the Sixers, a protected first-round pick from the Lakers, second-round pick from the Nuggets, and a conditional second-rounder from the Lakers uh, in 2015. So that's a hell of a pickup for – I mean, honestly, Orlando, that was a good pickup. I mean, Nikola Vucevic, who ended up being a pretty good player for them for many yeah, years, sure. yeah. Aflalo, who did a lot of stuff with their – Mo Harkless did a bunch of stuff. I mean, that's a pretty good haul. It's just – it's the Orlando Magic, so, of course, they made it awful and – and not fun at all, but uh, right. yeah. it probably should have worked better than it did. But uh, again, it is the Orlando Magic, so of course it didn't. Um, Kobe Bryant via a Facebook post because he was playing yeah. in the London Olympics at the time, and nobody was using Twitter at this time, even if Twitter was around, which 
much simpler time in our world when Twitter didn't exist and Facebook right. was just a little, uh, <laughs> it was fine. It wasn't great, but it was okay. It wasn't just filled yeah. with your aunt posting racist stuff all the time. You know, right. <laughs> your aunt didn't know about it. She no. didn't have it. So she didn't, have... um, she just said racist stuff at Thanksgiving instead of right. on Facebook. Yeah. So. But anyway, says, uh, well, it looks like Superman has found a home. The Lakers have landed a piece that will hopefully carry the franchise long after I'm gone. I've spoken to Dwight Howard, and we are locked and loaded to hopefully bring back the title. Did that conversation actually ever happen? I'm guessing no, right? I've spoken to him. Yeah, I mean. At no point were Dwight and Kobe locked and loaded, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think. Hopefully the words locked and loaded were not used there. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Try to imagine a conversation between yeah, Dwight's Dwight just like Kobe, eating gummy yeah. bears or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like Kobe's like, "Are you ready to get yeah. to work?" And, yeah, and Dwight's like making fart noises and eating gummy I'm, bears. And... I'm guessing Kobe didn't feel good about that conversation after. It was done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That's like. Uh, but anyway, Howard is recovering from off-season back surgery. Not great when you're a, yeah, a big man right. that relies on athleticism and speed and strength and all that sort of stuff, uh, which had some people worried. Also, he's a free agent after the season, and even the ESPN breakdown of the trade mentioned how he was not ready to sign with Los Angeles just yet. Los Angeles, they signed him and basically were ready to say, hey, Dwight, here you go. Here's a big-time contract. Let's get this locked up and and, and locked and loaded. And Dwight was like, ah. Hold on yeah. a minute. So um, yeah. this is from the ESPN article. This is one source briefed on Howard's plans told ESPN.com's Mark Stein that the All-Star Center will indeed stand firm on his intent to play out the 2013 season without extending his contract so he can become a free agent on July 1st, 2013. Uh, going that route will enable Howard to decide how comfortable he is in Los Angeles before deciding whether to resign with the Lakers or join the Dallas Mavericks, who have the requisite ca- salary cap space to sign Howard and who remain one of his preferred destinations uh, from his original list of three teams, which is the Nets, Lakers, and the Mavericks. So, yeah. so that's uh, interrupt. But there was, if I'm recalling correctly, there was the like Dwight Howard was extremely close to being traded to the Nets. Like, like, and it, I think there was an issue with Brooke Lopez that ended up being reversed. But like, yes, it was, it was yeah. like going to happen. Yeah, I just just recall that now. So, yeah, I forget what. Uh, I think you're right. It was the Brooke. Well, hmm. I'll look it up while you go through. Yes, because uh, I, I remember for a fact yeah. that that had to. Yeah. Had, but I think whatever happened was. Eventually, they just decided, yeah, you know what, we'll be happier with Brooke Lopez instead. But um, we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit because it actually sure. relates to a, a team we're going to talk about later. But uh, okay. things go bad almost immediately. So head coach Mike Brown decided that the Lakers, he's got this new Lakers team, and he goes, you know what we need to do? We need to run the Princeton offense for some reason. <laughs> and uh, they did need to run the Princeton offense because they went 0, and, uh, 0 for 8 in the preseason. It's the preseason. It doesn't really matter. Then they yeah. start 1 of 4, and then the Lakers say, all right, Brown, you got to go. This is this is right. You got to hit the bricks here. Uh, and they bring in... Mike D'Antoni, who, yes, he's related to Nash or whatever, but, I mean, a Mike D'Antoni team coaching Kobe and Dwight Howard, is that going to work? And No, not really, because <laughs> they uh, they limped through the first month of the season with their worst start since 1994. Uh, the Lakers are in danger of straight up missing the playoffs for the first time since 2005 uh, before finally clinching a spot on the final day of the regular season. Uh, there was extra turmoil throughout the year as well. Longtime owner Jerry Buss died in February. Uh, and it really took a physical toll for for the team, you know, this year, just in general. I mean, a lot of guys had had probably their biggest injury issues ever. Kobe Bryant has a great year overall. He scores 27.3 points per game, 5.6 uh, rebounds per game, 6.0 uh, assists per game. Plays in 48 games. However, the last game he played that year, he tore his Achilles. So at, at age 34, this is a huge injury for Kobe. And, and, and really, Kobe was never the same 
uh, after this injury. And uh, Dwight Howard had been an absolute monster for the Orlando Magic over the last few years. And let's not let there's a lot of this erasure of like how great Dwight Howard was. Dwight Howard was great <laughs> for many, many years. You have people that like when they're like, hey, Dwight Howard in the Hall of Fame, they're like, mm, I don't know. And no, <laughs> get out of here. It's, he was really good. Yes, he's been in the pain in the ass for the last decade, but he was really, 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 really good with the Orlando. So show some respect for him. So anyway, uh, something was off though from the day one with, with uh, the Lakers. He played in 46 games, uh, but is scoring 17.1 points per game with the lowest since his third year in the league. Uh, he averaged an NBA leading, you know, 12.4 rebounds per game. But even that was down from like the 13 to 14 that he was averaging during his peak Orlando year. So he is clearly off. Something's a little wrong there. And Steve Nash, though, unfortunately, the least fun of this entire crew. His body, his body just completely started betraying him this year. Uh, and he ends the year, you know, 12.4 uh, uh, points per game, 6.7 assists per game. Not terrible. But it's not Steve Nash, and he plays in only 50 games, and he appeared to be in immense pain pretty much any time he played. This is when he couldn't even sit on the bench. He had to lay down. I mean, it just it was getting awful. His back was getting shot. His body was just really, really kind of abandoning himself. Uh, but anyway, San Antonio Spurs in the first round. Uh, the Lakers beyond battered at this point without Kobe Bryant, with just Dwight Howard and just Steve Nash, or just the, kind of the corpse of Steve Nash, uh, easily slept in four games. Uh, and they were... Um, they lost game four, 103 to 82. Howard, uh, who had a decent playoff run, though, fell apart in the final game. He was ejected uh, with a couple minutes left in the game after receiving his second technical foul. Uh, Paul Gasol, who was on the team, we didn't mention him before. Uh, he gets a standing ovation when he leaves the game, as everybody kind of assumes that's the end of the run for Paul Gasol uh, in Lakers. And uh, this was the Lakers' first first-round exit since 20, uh, 2007 and their first opening-round sweep. Since 1967, they don't get swept very often, especially not in the opening round. So that is it for the Lakers. An absolute disaster. And the Kobe-Dwight relationship does not go very well. So at the beginning of the year, Dwight said of Bryant's tough love approach. So I'll take all the heat that he's going to give me because I know at the end of the day, that's going to make me a better player and a better person. And it's going to make this team better. Um did not quite work out that way. Steve Nash would say after the season, everybody could see the relationship between Bryant and Howard was going to be tough from the very start. So despite all this, despite all the turmoil, the Lakers still want to offer Dwight Howard a max contract of five years and $118 million. They traded Bynum for him. They traded a bunch of stuff for him. They still wanted to get him. So they give him that deal. It's on the table. It's a max deal. It's the best deal he's going to be able to get. And then on July 13th, 2013, Howard shocks the NBA world by deciding not to sign with the Lakers and instead join James Harden and the Houston Rockets. He says a championship is the priority. That's the priority. Shoot, I'm betting $30 million on it. I just looked at both teams, and I felt like Houston was going in one direction. They got a lot of young players. They got a good coach in Kevin McHale. Hmm. <laughs> and I feel like having him as a coach, he could really help me in the post and help me develop like I want to. That was mainly the reason right there. And having the opportunity to grow with the team, a young team like the Rockets, that's the reason why I decided to leave. Now, there's some other fun what-ifs in this uh, Dwight Howard thing. The other teams that were looking at him, Dallas Mavericks, who, of course, were interested in him for many, many years. The Atlanta Hawks, who would eventually get Dwight Howard many years later, but not the Dwight Howard. They'd get a Dwight Howard. Uh, and then one that I always find very fascinating, the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors wanted Dwight Howard in 2014. Just like, right. I mean, yeah. how much of history is different if, like, oh, yeah. Dwight Howard's there? You know what I mean? They, they sign him to, like, a max deal. He takes up half their payroll, all this sort of stuff. Can you imagine sure. just how much different NBA history is if, if Dwight Howard waltzes into Golden State and, and, and you know, 
does any of what you know we would have over the next decade uh, happen? I, I don't know. It's it's very. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, they don't get Aguidala. You know, now he right. was really important. Obviously, in the era part of the dynasty. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance that that happens. So it's yeah, a completely it's different. Yeah. Wild. So yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. The Lakers. Uh, this would be the beginning of uh, the end of of the entire obviously Kobe run. There, they would miss the playoffs in each of the next six se- uh, six seasons. Jody Meeks would lead the team in win shares the next year. Jody <laughs> Meeks. That's not good. Yeah. Ed Davis would do so in 2015. Ed right. Davis. <laughs> These are the yeah. best players in the Lakers during these final few seasons. This is bad. Uh, Steve Nash slowly ached his way into retirement. Uh, Kobe would go on his retirement tour, obviously capping off his career with the most Kobe performance possible. Uh, and Dwight Howard, uh, ironically enough, this is the best part of all this, yeah, right. uh, would never win a title with Houston, but he would win a title with the Lakers in 2020. So yeah. it would take a couple years, but he would return yeah. to the Lakers and finally win that title. So He got there. Uh, yeah. So I guess it was fun in the end. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> not really. Yes, it was fun. Yeah, I um apparently uh, there were definitely strong rumors about you know Dwight Howard trades to the Nets, and even that year with the Lakers, apparently around the All Star time, there was even like I never got serious, but there was like there were at least rumors about like you know uh, Dwight Howard maybe getting traded to the Nets for like Brooke Lopez or something like that, but it never apparently didn't come as close to happening as I somehow thought it came close to happening. So, so yeah. Um, right. But yeah, that was just, yeah, that, that was such a weird one. I mean, that Nash's injury just kind of like ruined any chance of them like really being great. Unfortunately, yeah, he never really, um, came back and, you know, was a particularly effective player again. So that, that right. Right. And just perfect. like, I yeah, mean, there, yeah. there's not two worse personalities you could possibly put together. Oh yeah. Than Dwight, <laughs> than Kobe, Dwight yeah. Howard and Kobe Bryant. Right. Like, yeah. Like one man is a maniacal maniac about you know, like getting better and training and competitiveness, and then the other one's Dwight Howard. It was just like you know making fart noises or whatever. It's, right. I can, yeah. can you can just imagine like the first practice and Kobe probably going to the bat being like, "Nah, this isn't gonna work." No, it's not good. Yes, so. All right. Next we have the 1976 Washington Bullets. The Year before, 75 bullets. They'd won 60 games. They made the NBA Finals. Ended up being swept by the Golden State Warriors in one of the bigger upsets in NBA history. Although, like, every game in that series was extremely close. So it was, it was a kind of weird, you know, upset. But obviously, disappointing um, playoff result. But, yeah, they had, hey, they were a 60-win team. They were really good. You know, best SRS in the league. They brought back Coach Casey Jones. You know, their core of Wes Unseld, Elvin Hayes, Phil Chenier. They also had... Mike Reardon, Jimmy Jones, you know, good, good role players, good scorers. And they had budding young talents like Truck Robinson, Nick Witherspoon. So their only big change for the 76 season seemed like a good one. They were getting Washington, D.C. native and six-time All-Star Dave Bing for guard Kevin Porter. So, you know, Bing was 31, little past his scoring prime, but he was still a strong performer. You know, he averaged 19 points per game and seven points sent. 7.7 assists per game, uh, having recovered from a detached retina he suffered during the 72 season that hampered his eyesight. He never re- completely regained it, but he still played effectively even even after that point. So he's still been a, a good player for a number of years. Yeah, that's um, still a trade that you make like a thousand. I mean, you make oh, a yeah, trade every absolutely. single time. I mean, Kevin Porter ended up having a great career, obviously, but you make yeah. a trade every single time to get Dave Bing at that point, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Porter's like a good scorer, you know, good, or, you know, good, um, it, you know, Put a lot, lot of numbers in terms of his assistance steals. A good small guard, but yeah, was not you know nowhere near the star that uh, Dave Bing was. And absolutely, that's you know, what you want to do, even at age thirty-one. But yeah, the the bullets fell from sixty wins to forty-eight wins. You know, they're 
their biggest change, they went there, they upped four points from a 91.3 defensive rate to a 95.3. They were still second in the league, but that's a big increase from year to year. So they're giving up, you know, an average of four more points per game. Um, they went from the sixth fastest team in the league to 13th. Probably that's a direct result of losing Porter, who's known as a fast player. Um, they also went from fourth in the NBA to 18th in field goal attempts. Um, so they're not nearly getting as, as many shots up. They did go to the foul line more. Um, they also turned the ball over more and didn't get as many steals, which I think probably has a lot to do with the, both those things having a lot to do with the lack of field goal attempts. You obviously, if you're turning the ball over more and you're not getting as many turnovers, you're not going to get as many shot attempts up. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's not, you know, doing research into this, it, not really clear if there was like one thing or, or it, there really doesn't seem to be like one key thing. I mean, being himself, he played well enough. You know, he was still an all-star that year, won the all-star game MVP, you know, averaged 16 points per game and six assists per game. His numbers, you know, were um, were still pretty good. You know, from all accounts, there wasn't any major dissension between him and the other teammates. Um, and every, you know, key player on the team was more or less the same. Mike Reardon slipped a little bit, but he's like your sixth best player. You know, you kind of absorb that. Truck Robinson had a big role and did well with it. But, you know, one, one important thing is that, you know, of the key guys in the team, you know, Unseld, Hayes, Bing, Reardon, you know, Jones and Clem Haskins, you know, they're all like 29 or older. So they definitely had a team that was susceptible to just, you know, slipping a little bit. You have multiple guys just, you know, like 90% as good as they were the year before. That's kind of how you go from 60 wins to 48 wins. And yeah, you're still a good team. You know, they were fourth in the league in SRS. It's a little bit more of a uh, balanced league than it had been. So that might've been part of it too. But um but yeah, there it's uh, it's one of those things like yeah, you know, you you look into it and you kind of shrug and you're like, yeah, I don't really know why they weren't as good. They just definitely weren't. Yeah, it's yeah, it's one of these weird, and this is a kind of a common theme in a lot of these. Is just like sometimes you know we think, hey, they're bringing together all these really really good players, and this is gonna just work. And but eventually, a lot of times being able to bring together all those really good players is also like all those good players are now starting to get a little bit older. We saw it with the Lakers, you know, with Nash. It's like, yeah, it's Steve Nash, but it's, you know, it's 35-year-old Steve I, Nash. Or, sure. you know, yeah. Uh, and, and hell, it's going to be very, very <laughs> obvious in our next team that we're going to talk about where it's just like, yeah, sometimes it's, the Pippen Rockets is another great one. It's like, yeah, these guys are all legends, but yeah, they're all in their like, late there. I mean, the reason you can bring together a, a team of four legends or, you know, three or four, like, you know, consistent all-stars Hall of Famers is because they're getting a little bit older and and, and that's how you're able to kind of do it. And that's how these guys are, you know, have the reputations they have. So, yeah, it, it seems like it should work more than it does work. But, yeah, sometimes it's just like the wrong combination of guys or guys are just a little tired or guys are just a little old or whatever. And it just kind of, yeah. But this is this is a weird one, too, because it's just like you don't really, it's like, yeah, this should have probably worked pretty well. And it just yeah didn't. Yeah, and, and you know maybe again maybe they played a little bit outside of themselves in '75, and they right, kind of all right, went, right. went back to where they kind of should have been in in '76. You know, even though again the numbers for everybody, you know, no one really slips dramatically. Um, you know, everyone kind of delivers about the same as they did the year before. But yeah, they definitely and yeah. To be fair, this team too. I mean, they're they're two like insane, miraculous like moments away from being you know a really you know like a sure. not a dynasty, but like you know a team that, that you know they're they're uh, the biggest upset in NBA you know history, NBA Finals history, sure. and like the miracle at Richfield away from being like you know <laughs> a dominant two year team or whatever. So right, yeah, and they they lost the this was like the first time in six years they didn't win the division title. You know, the Cavs won. I think the Cavs were like one game better than the Bullets, and then in the playoffs, the yeah the, the Cavs win. The, you know, the dramatic series, Dick Snyder's a dramatic, you know, game winning shot um, in 76 to, to losing Cleveland, you know, in the first round. 
Uh, and Casey Jones is casualty of that. He, he gets fired from the team. I think this was his third year as the coach. Um, you know, and, and the expectation, there's a New York Times article about it. The expectation is like, yeah, their personnel is regarded as the best in the league. Um, and, um, you know, they, that one quote from, from Wes Unseld is like, it, it took time for being and his new teammates to gel. Interesting to, he's like speaking the third person there almost like he's not one of the new teammates even though he is <laughs> which isn't and, good i guess that doesn't vote well either right right <laughs> so uh, so yeah it's not my fault no i don't know but um coach can't do much about that casey is a man he treated us like that maybe that was the mistake expecting everyone to act like a professional as individuals we just couldn't put everything together as a team but so after this, they bring in Dick Mata as the coach. Uh, you know, Bing, he, even though he was good in 76 and 77, he definitely fell off and you know left for the Celtics to finish his career there at one more season. So he was pretty much done. But, you know, um, 77, they pretty much have the same record. They do make the second round of the playoffs, but, you know, aren't any, you know, they'll perform significantly better. In fact, they're, they're worse SRS-wise in the uh, regular season. They finished 10th in SRS. So it seems like they're slipping. Um, but you know, before 78, they end up adding Bob Dandrich. And over those couple of years, they do end up, you know, having a pretty, they get a younger supporting cast, um, you know, to compliment Hayes and Unseld. They get Tom Henderson, Mitch Kupchak, Kevin Grevy gets a bigger um, role, you know, Larry Wright, Charles Johnson, Greg Ballard, all, you know, kind of key guys in 78 and 79 when they win the title in 78, um, as you know, kind of a surprise considering they, you know, don't, they only won 44 games in the regular season. Um, and then, you know, make the finals in um, 79, losing to the uh, Sonics. So, um, you know, they end up kind of retooling. You know, Mata ends up being, you know, looks like the right coach for that team, obviously. But, um, yeah, but, you know, Casey Jones probably got a – he got done dirty a little bit through uh, in that situation. For sure. All right. Let's get to now the 2014 Nets. And by oh, this yeah. time, we so we were doing a show in August of 2014. So, I think at this point we already knew this was a disaster. But – Right. I am going to go on record that even when this deal happened, I was like, I don't think this is going to work. This is where were you at with this? The, the 2013, 2014s? I, I thought short, like I thought they would be good that year. I'm certainly better than they were like, and I, and I thought they were like a championship contender for one team. Like, like, like most everybody else, I thought like, Oh wow, this is like way too much to give up to get, you know, old Kevin Garnett, old Paul Pierce and, you know, really old Jason Terry. But, um, like I still thought, like okay, well, this year they should probably be because you know those those Celtics teams had fought the um, the Heat so tough and they'd come close to beating them. It's like yeah, you had those key guys. You know, you've got Darren Williams, you got Joe Johnson. Like yeah, that, that short term that makes sense. It's way too much to give up, but short term, I, I I was more optimistic, I guess, than you were at the time. Yeah, I was just uh, <clears throat> I don't know, I was just kind of not like I, I, I was just like those guys are getting kind of old or whatever. But right. you know, I, but you're right. My my expectations were probably not. They're you know they're not going to waltz into the finals, but like I still yeah probably thought that they'd be competitive. Shot at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, a, a right. decent shot at it, and that uh, did not quite happen. So uh, the 2014 Nets they had Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry as uh, the second year of the Nets in Brooklyn, and they are ready to kick this rebrand into overdrive. And the first year in Brooklyn went relatively well. The Nets finished with a 49 and 33 record. Uh, that was their first winning season since 2016, uh, 2006. Uh, and I saw this little nugget too, which blew my mind, but is absolutely true. Excluding their ABA years, this was the second best year, tied for the second best year 
in franchise history and the first time that the Nets ever in the and in their NBA history, not ABA, NBA history, had a winning record on the road. And I was like, that's impossible. They went to back-to-back NBA Finals. Uh, yeah, so they won 52 games in the first Jason Kidd year. When, when he, obviously, he was a player, not a coach. Uh, and then 49 the second. So that, that the second year tied you know, this year or the, 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 the first year in Brooklyn as, as the sure. best record ever, which is sure. unbelievable considering how long they'd been around. But uh, uh, even more unbelievably, they didn't have a winning record on the road in either of those years. The 52 win year, they were 19 and 22 on the road. And then in 2003, when they won 49 games, they were 16 and 25 on the road. That's that's so weird. Like, <laughs> like the, what the, the like home field advantage of the Metal right. Lands Arena. <laughs> right. It's not like they're in Denver. Like Denver, you get that. Right. But there's no. Utah, there's but, nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's a right horrible arena <laughs> built on a yeah. swamp. Like there is. It's no... not. Yeah. It's not like travels like a huge thing. For, <laughs> no. uh, yeah. The airport's like right next to the hard. arena. Like, right. Yeah. It couldn't be any easier there. I guess the uh, allure of New York. City was so much that I don't Maybe. Know, but you're not in yeah. it, you know. Like I mean, you're, you're, the Knicks yeah. didn't have this. The Knicks weren't like you know what I mean. Like right, it's, right. It's, huh. man, it's so wild. Yeah, I, I was like, that's an impot. That's not true. That's they, these people yeah. are forgetting what you what lie. they're lying. What and no, yeah. they're right. Wow. All right, crazy. But anyway, back to 2014. Uh, former Net star, the aforementioned Jason Kidd, was hired as head coach. Uh, yeah. And then on July 12th, 2013, the Nets made the biggest trade in their franchise's history, acquiring Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry from the Boston Celtics. Uh, Nets general manager Billy King says, honestly, did I think we could pull off something like this? No. <laughs> but uh, Celtics GM Danny Ainge and I just kept working at it and got to the point where we were both comfortable. Can you imagine that? Danny Ainge making a deal. Actually yeah, getting to the table. Did. Right. And making a deal instead of just saying he was going to make a deal, and then darn it, he just couldn't make it. So well, he got a lot of traffic. So yeah, <laughs> but he got this one done. So yeah, he did. Yeah, All right. uh, Mikhail Prokhorov. Remember Mikhail Prokhorov? Oh, I do. Yes, <laughs> he says today the basketball gods smiled on the Nets with the arrival of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. We have achieved a great balance on our roster between veteran stars and young talents. This team will be dazzling to watch and tough to compete against. Of course, this wasn't peak Garnett and Pierce. Garnett at this time was 37. Pierce was 35. But Billy King says here, I hope people keep questioning KG and Paul Pierce's age because I know the type of warriors they are. The workload will not be as much as it's been in the past because of their teammates, but I enjoy the fact that people keep questioning Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. I know that they'll come out and prove them wrong, so I'm not concerned about that at all. Um, should have been concerned a little bit. But a uh, uh, fun fact, uh, there was an initial trade here that Garnett vetoed because the first deal did not include Jason Terry. And he basically was like, nah, man, I don't want, I don't want Terry on that rebuilding team. I want him to come along with us. So he insisted that Terry go along with them and he got it done. So um, I don't know what they had to add to get Jason Terry in there, but uh, who knows? So in the end, the Celtics return package here, which uh, they would receive Gerald Wallace, Marshawn Brooks, and Chris Humphreys. They would also get Keith Bogans, Chris Joseph, and first-round draft picks in 2014, 2016, and 2018, as well as the rights to swap first-round picks with the Nets in 2017. So when it all finished, here is the entire haul. Just think of this. This haul is insane, and it could have even been even that much more insane as well. They got Keith Bogans, the, arguably the biggest. <laughs> sure, yeah, you got I mean, Bogans, yeah. Right, I mean, that changed the whole dynamic of the yeah, entire team. Sure. Yeah, uh, right. Marshawn Brooks, not as much as Keith Bogans, but solid oh, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris Humphreys, Chris Joseph, Gerald Wallace, uh, a 2014 first round pick. That was just James Young. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. 2016, Jalen Brown, who obviously yeah, still an important pretty, piece yeah. of, of the right. Boston Celtics. Yeah. A 2017 first round draft pick, which 
They selected Markel Fultz, but obviously then flipped Markel Fultz to uh, the Sixers for Jason Tatum. <laughs> so yeah. they got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in this. Yeah. Uh, a 2018 first-round pick, they got Colin Sexton, or, or Colin Sexton was later selected. This was moved in the Kyrie Irving trade. So an interesting fact there, wrinkle that, you know, if they never make that Kyrie Irving trade, they have, you know, someone like that. I mean, I Colin Sexton's not that great, but right. hell, if Kyrie stays, like that's an even bigger, you know, whatever. Sure. Uh, and then they got the 2017 uh uh, number one overall pick uh, from Brooklyn as a result of that pick swap to get to the Markel Fultz thing. So, it, right. it, it's so essentially, even with like the Kyrie thing being worth nothing at that point, the 2018 pick, and even with you know James Young in 2014, and, and none of those players really mattering. Yeah. In one deal, they got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are right. you know key building blocks of their entire team. Sure. And it could have been even more ridiculous if the Kyrie trade had worked out and not been you know a complete disaster. Sure. Nuts. It was absolutely nuts. So. Absolutely, yeah. No. But it was all worth it for the Nets because they go into the season with the highest payroll in the NBA and the expectations that Pierce, Garnett, and Terry are going to join the solid core of Brooke Lopez, Darren Williams, and Joe Johnson. And people, don't forget, at this time in 2014, there was legit conversations about Darren Williams and Chris Paul, and you were not nuts if you thought that Darren Williams was better than Chris uh, Paul. Well, I, I, I think in 2014 maybe, but like 2011. Yeah, yeah, but 2014, you're yeah. kind of being stupid with that. Right, it's probably right. Chris Paul, but... Yeah. I guess you could kind of, but now like a decade later, it, it just seems absolutely right. absurd to people yeah. that like you have to say, no, no, no. There was legit a time where people were like, yeah, Chris right. Paul's good, but I don't know. I think Darren Williams I mean, is Darren Williams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was right. a decade ago. And Chris Paul's still really, really good. And Darren yeah, Williams has been retired for a decade now. Yeah. Like, right. It's nuts. It's absolutely yeah. nuts. So uh, things went south fast for this team. They were five and 12 after the first month of the season, 24 and 27 by the all-star break. They finally limp into the playoffs at 44 and 38. Things weren't, Bad, they just weren't that good. Bad defensive rating, bad net rating, one of the worst paces in the league. Uh, and what's weird, too, even attendance at the Barclays Center wasn't exactly gangbusters. They had this idea that, oh, man, this is going to put Brooklyn on the map, and it just really didn't. They finished 17th out of 30 uh, in uh, in attendance. Uh, Brook Lopez started the year great, but fractured his foot in December, and he would miss the rest of the season. Uh, Darren Williams, his numbers fell a lot from the prior year as he scored just 14.3 points per game, the lowest since his rookie year. Like we're saying, now this is where you're starting to be like, I don't know. What do we got here with this uh, uh, Darren Williams guy? This will really be the beginning of the end for him uh, as well. Uh, your man, ISO Joe, Joe Johnson, was solid oh, yeah. as usual, made the All-Star game again after a one-year absence. Cool. Uh, his scoring did drop slightly, uh, but he played in 49 games, was solid, kind of calming factor around the whole turmoil as he's just Joe Johnson. He's just kind of hard hat, lunch pail, goes to work, does his thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and this is when we should also mention as well that this was that random year when they signed Andre Kirilenko for, like, That's the right. league minimum, and everyone's like... So you're telling me that this Russian owner signed Andre Kirilenko, who played in Russian National Leagues... For a league minimum, nobody wanted to pay him anymore, and uh, everybody was kind of like, that's kind of weird. But it didn't matter because he fell off a cliff. He scored only five points per game, and he'd be out of the league after just seven games the next season. But that was a thing. Like, there was people really kind of curious how the hell they got Andre Kirilenko there, uh, but it, it didn't matter because it ended up not working out very well as, uh, at all. Uh, and then what about the Boston guys? Uh, Paul Pierce's scoring fell from 18.6 points per game in Boston the prior year to 13.5 with Brooklyn. He was fine, but he was 36 and starting to slow down. Kevin Garnett, oh man, did things fall apart for Kevin Garnett. He was 37, but he was coming off an all-star season still. Nobody could have expected his scoring to fall from 14.8 points per game to 6.5. 6.5 points per game. He did still grab 6.6 rebounds per game, but this is Kevin Garnett. His shooting also fell to 44%. So yeah, he, probably the biggest guy that just, it just was like, oh yeah, no, I'm not that good anymore. Sorry. Tried. He, he yelled a lot yeah. still, but it, right. it was... Yeah. 
it was done. Yeah, the, the yeah. bloom was, was off the rose, unfortunately. So that hit more than almost anybody was just like, the, oh, boy, I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah. Uh, and Jason Terry didn't even last the season. This is the best part about this whole thing is they're <laughs> like, nah, man, no, nah, we can't let Jason Terry. <laughs> like, he's got to be with us. The deal can't happen unless Jason Terry's with us. Like, you know, he can't be on a rebuilding bad team or whatever. We're not going to let it happen. Uh, they trade him to the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> Uh, for Marcus Thornton, Jason Terry goes, I'm not playing in Sacramento. He never does play in Sacramento. He eventually would sign with Houston uh, later, and then he would have a couple years with Milwaukee and stuff. But this is pretty much the end of, of yeah. Jason Terry. He hung around for a while. Longer yeah, he did hang around for like four yeah. or five more years. But yeah. this was the end of him being like starter, six-man Jason the Jet, and then right. he just became like KG veteran Jason Terry but after this, out. which is, yeah. is fine. Right. But, um, yeah, sure. What's weird, though, is I try to dig for it. There's just not a whole lot of drama involved with this team. Everybody kind of knew yeah. the score. And we're just like, yeah, we, we're just kind of bad, not that good. Kevin Garnett during the season said, when we lose, it's like uh, like this. It's a complete lack of focus. There's no way we should be losing by 40 to NBA, NBA team with the guys we got. I've got to say it's a complete lack of focus. That's all I have to say. We just didn't show up. Um, they just, yeah, they weren't they, that good. They they would make they, the playoffs and, yeah. and they'd win a first-round uh, series against Toronto, and but then they'd get pretty handed uh, by the defending champion Miami Heat in the second round, and then it just kind of all fall, falls apart. Pierce is like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna stick around. I'm gonna go join the Wizards." So he joins the Wizards. Uh, Garnett stays for the next year, but he's traded in February back to Minnesota. Uh, Jason Terry, as we mentioned, is gone. So basically, everybody's gone. Like two years in, like everybody is gone. Uh, the Nets finished 38 and 44. They were able to squeak into the playoffs as an eight seed, and then that would be their last playoff appearance until 2019, and then it just kind of ended so it was a big to do they trade a bunch of shit they trade a bunch of guys they trade a bunch of draft picks they basically set the Boston Celtics up for another decade and then like a year later it was just kind of all gone and and there's not a whole lot of like he said she said oh this is why it was just like yeah we were kind of old and we were just kind of bad so I don't know right yeah I mean the, I think the biggest drama was involved just kid because like at the beginning of the year he or near the early part of the season when they got off to that bad start, he demoted, you know, like Lawrence Frank, like his former coach, like you know, who he brought in as an assistant. Like there was that weirdness about oh, like, oh, yeah. just gonna I don't blame him on Lawrence Frank. And then after the season, you know, he he ends up, you know, um going to the Bucks. Yeah, you know, like he ends up leaving the team entirely and going to the Bucks. And then, you know, Lionel Hollins is their coach the um the next season. But yeah, like in the season there, it was more, yeah. It, I mean in retrospect, I didn't re- I kind of forgot how much it was really Darren Williams and Garnett that those are the two guys who really just kind of like fell off entirely, you know, and and Garnett's, I don't think it's quite as particularly, and he only played 54 games that year too. You know, like um, I forget if he, there's a specific injury that he had or if he just, you know, was banged up here and there. Yeah, but, I yeah. think it was just a little nagging um, stuff. And this, yeah. uh, this is when so, it, it just kind of overnight was just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm old. I've been playing in the league for, you know, 15 years, playing really sure. hard, long playoff yeah. runs. Like it yeah. all just kind of came to a head here. He's 37. Right. Like, that's pretty normal. You know? no, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You would expect him to be a little better, I guess. But, but yeah, obviously the injuries and just, yeah, uh, a little bit of reduced role and everything. Yeah. I mean, I think him and Darren Williams were the kind of the key ones that kind of um, fell off there. Yeah. And the Celtics actually had a bigger, one year later had a better, better regular season and deeper playoff run than the Nets did in the 2015 season. So, like, the Celtics weren't even bad for that long, you know. So, um, yeah, kind of, kind of funny how that um, ended up working out. All right, we got one more. Uh, actually, two straight years of the New York Knicks, 1976, 1977. Again, I don't know if either of these teams was they were a realistic title threat, but they were definitely big stars, expected to shake things up, expected to make the team better. You know, interesting transition between eras and definitely worth talking about. So 76 Knicks, you know, they added Spencer Haywood. 
Um, and Spencer Awood at that point had been awesome. Like he was only 26. He'd been an ABA MVP. He was five times all league and three times in the first team. He'd averaged 26 points per game, 13.6 rebounds with a 21.9 PER. Absolutely star. There's some red flags. You know, his relationship had deteriorated with coach Bill Russell and the Sonics. You know, he wasn't uh, definitely, he was more of a, you know, offensive minded guy, although, you know, he actually played fairly well, you know, some defense with Seattle, you know, um, Seattle had never been like, you know, particularly good team. They made the playoffs a little bit, but they were kind of middling. So, um, you know, there were some reasons to think like, oh, maybe, maybe he's not quite as great as he was. But um, and the Knicks, you know, they were 40 and 42 the prior year. You know, they'd lost Willis Reed. They'd lost Jerry Lucas. They'd lost Dave DeBusher, you know, after the 74 season. So but they still had Walt Frazier. They still had Roman Rowe. They still had Bill Bradley from the title year. So, you know, you, you definitely think that, yeah, maybe, you know, this is going to turn them around, at least make them like a strong playoff team. But, um, you know, after the trade, which happens in October 75, um, Red Holzman, Knicks coach, says, hey, Spencer has to has to be considered a superstar at the game. The fact that he has been around so long and is still so young and has accomplished so much is a, is a hell of a positive note. It'll make us a lot stronger. We're getting a hell of a runner, shooter, and rebounder. So, um, so yeah, the um, interesting how he arrived. There's a great New York Daily News article that kind of recaps um, – some of it, you know, um, wh- and the um, Knicks at all, there was also had been talk that they were going to try to get Will Chamberlain at the time that kind of fell through. So, you know, when it happens with, with Haywood, you know, f- while Frazier says, yeah, it's, it's even better than acquiring Will Chamberlain. That's how good this is. Um, and then Haywood, when asked in his introductory press conference about fans considering a savior, Haywood responded, then I'll save. There uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, apparently it made, you know, it ticked off his teammates a little bit. Phil Jackson, of course, you know, who's, you know, Phil Jackson is you know, <laughs> sourpuss. Phil Jackson is good for <laughs> hey, you know, you know, Phil Jackson. Yeah. We, we really miss your five master. Points, your five yeah, no, yeah. yeah, man. He, he's, oh, yeah. He's Zen. It's all about, you know, inner peace and all that how, sort of stuff. How, yeah. how dare you disrespect, you know, Phil Jackson and his six points per game and four rebounds per game, you know, uh, he's like, yeah, it's like he, Phil even confronted Haywood about asking how two-time champions can be saved by a player with zero titles. Yeah, I guess you know half these guys were two-time champions, so there you go. Um, <sighs> but yeah, and, you're not not because of you though. I mean, you were right. a part of it. Yeah, you were right. But yeah, <laughs> chill out, man. Yeah, yeah. Out, yeah. So Haywood's quote later on, he's like, "Yeah, I was coming in as a savior, and that was the first bad turn because the Knicks had two championships, and I was coming in as a savior, and I'm replacing Jerry Lucas, Willis Reed, and David Busher, and I'm one person. So that was a bit unfair." But I thought I could do it all, you know. Uh, he's like, I'm like, hey, I'm coming here to do this. So that wrote people the wrong way. The team, um, if you won two championships, and I'm talking a bit how I'm saving, that was a bad turn, you know. So you know, he understood later that it upset people. But um, and this was also after like the the offseason could have been even bigger because that because before they got um, Haywood, they reached an agreement with George McGinnis, who had been the ABA MVP on a six year contract. But it was rejected by the NBA because the Sixers had held his rights after choosing him in the draft. They were even stripped of their first round pick in the 76 draft, which is the first time a team had been uh, stripped of its uh, pick uh, there. So, you know, they, and I don't know if they would have gotten Haywood had they gotten McGinnis, but still, you know, obviously McGinnis would have, it was an even better player at that point than, than Haywood, although would uh, also have an early decline, although not as dramatically as Haywood's was. Um, yeah, but the season just, you know, it started very poorly. They, you know, they ended up starting 10 and 20. 
Uh, they did go on a six-game winning streak, and then later on in January, they had another six-game winning streak. So they were 24 and 23 at one point, but that was the only point in which they had a winning percentage over 500. They uh, it was the first time since the 66 season the team did not reach the playoffs. And you know, one thing that you know, Haywood did say is that you know he very much got into the New York partying scene with his new wife, who was the supermodel Iman recreationally used cocaine and went out there. It, it was, it sounds like it was the kind of thing where it was more like he liked to go out and have fun, but it wasn't really like addiction level problem. Until, right, right. Like, it was it, the seventies in New York. I mean, let's right. be honest. <laughs> it was, he was not yeah. alone in enjoying himself and enjoying yeah. a little bit of the, that, uh, the that candy, affected. So. Yeah. That affected yeah. a lot of guys. Yeah. But then obviously things got really bad. Right, right, the Lakers. Right, right. And he's, you know, trying to, he's putting out a hit on his coach, you know, <laughs> things got deep there, but things get a little worse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah no, it became a full blown right. issue. You. And and uh, yeah. you mentioned uh, supermodel Aman. Uh, she was married to David Bowie after Spencer Haywood, yeah. right? That's right. incredible. Like, can imagine, yeah. like it's Spencer Haywood and David Bowie. Like, what right. a what a combination yeah. of right. people to be married to. That's exactly. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, have they ever had a like? Imagine a Spencer Haywood, David Bowie conversation. Like, what does that go like? Uh, you know, yeah, like, I don't know. That's a good question. I they've I, met at some point, right? They had I'm to, sure. you know. Yeah, like, I'm sure. Met, they like, oh, hey, yeah, you're, so you're yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they had kids or anything, uh, if, if that would have been involved, but that would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Three and a half years with the Knicks, you know, Haywood averaged 17.1 points per game, 8.6 rebounds, you know, 16.3 PPR. So like, he was productive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like terrible, but like, you know, his first season in 76, definitely as strong as before I kind of dealt with injuries and other issues, um, you know, I- including a fit with the big star they bring in 1977, which is um, Bob McAdoo was the 1975 MVP. They also bring in Jim McMillian, who had been like part of the Lakers 69 win team still was really good with those Braves teams. So like they, and all they do, they, they just, they give up John Gianelli and $3 million. That's like a, that's like a huge trade. Yeah. It seems like, Hey man, that's going to be awesome. But, uh, yeah, this they, is going to be fun. <laughs> the New York right, Times. Yeah. <laughs> they go from 38 wins to 40 wins, uh, there, you know, um, and McAdoo, he does, he is a, um, he starts the all-star game, you know, Monroe's an all-star again, but yeah, they end up finishing with a 0.01 SRS. Uh, uh, yeah, the 13th in the league, uh, you know, they're, they're not really good on offense or defense. They're just, uh, yeah, they're, they're a very average team, um, unfortunately. And, you know, McAdoo, like, Certainly the Knicks are not as good as is expected during this time. And, you know, we've talked a lot about McAdoo in the past and how he kind of has like a weird decline in the late seventies, but with the Knicks, he averaged 26.7 points, 12 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.4 blocks and 1.3 steals in 171 games. So production wise, he was still really strong. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. we, we now, did a show about that. Not that yeah. long ago about how like, right. just, I mean, cause people kind of consider McAdoo in New York, like a, right. a huge disappointment. It's like, no, the dude was great. Like, yeah. He fell was... off after that a lot, right. you know, obviously, but, but at that point, yeah. Production now again, like, does he play defense? Does he fit well? That stuff, you know, isn't happening. You know, one illustration of that is this year, this 77 next. And, and they still got Walt Frazier, although Walt Frazier is obviously long in the tooth. You know, he's, um, He's uh, by the 70s, he's 31. Monroe's 32. Um, you know, the uh, uh, Bar or yeah, um, i Garnett, Kevin Garnett. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Bill Bradley, I 
thinking Bill Bennett. Bill Bradley, yes. Bill Bradley retired in 76. So that was his last season. He doesn't play in 77. But they're a little better, but they still win only 40 games. They do make the playoffs. Um, they lose in the – oh, no, I'm sorry. They do not make the playoffs in 77. They they would make it in 78. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they give up – anyway, they give up 68 points to Pete Maravich. Pete Maravich just destroys, you know, everyone they put in front of him, including Walt Frazier, who, you know, had hounded uh, Maravich early on in his career. So Maravich got a little bit of uh, individual justice there. And then, yeah, 78 season, they try to – they bring in Willis Reed as the coach. They try to get out to inspire the big men. There's a, a, a Sports Illustrated article from – December of 77, but they basically say, like, hey, you know, they have Haywood describes Haywood McAdoo as two players who through all their pro lives have had to do little more than shoot and block shots. So not a whole lot of respect for uh, what they were doing. And it describes how Haywood is like he's actually like he understands like, okay, McAdoo's here. He kind of plays my spot. You know, neither one is, you know, McAdoo's tall enough to be a center, but really isn't like, uh, you know, the type of player who's going to be a center in the late seventies um, NBA and, and Haywood's, you know, more better forward. So he understands that like, okay, McAdoo's going to be the scorer here. So I have to try and be a guy who's going to play defense and rebound. And he even has like this list of like 17 rules over his locker at the Madison square garden, just, you know, beginning, like I've got to box out, I'm going to rebound, I'm going to play pressure defense. And then it ends with concentrate, concentrate, like, you can tell, like at some level, he wants to do it, but just like doesn't have the 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 discipline or like the mentality, or just isn't able to like shift his game to the level where he's going to be able to do those little things and be different than you know he's been for like the rest of his entire career. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough. Yeah, it, on paper, this seems like a team that should have worked, but yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't unfortunately. Well, uh, sure, we're better than it did. I mean, yeah, yeah are yeah, they yeah. ever going to be like championship level? You know, with yeah. Those oh, guys? right, right, yeah, right. No, yeah. yeah. Disappointment in the sense that yeah, maybe you yeah. thought it was going to be a little bit more fun, a little bit more exciting than it was, and, right. and kind of usher in that you know the new era of New York Knicks basketball, and it, and it really, it really did not. And right, you know, and yeah. yeah. And I actually, I'm sorry, Bradley did play in the 77 season, but he was in a much reduced role, played 15 mm-hmm. minutes per game at that point. So, you know, yeah. And, you know, Phil Jackson, you know, was, was older at that point. I mean, everybody was older, but, you know, Frazier was, he definitely slipped and they obviously traded him to Cleveland. Monroe, you know, still pretty good, but, um, you know, yeah, they didn't have, you know, there was another case where like, yeah, their guys kind of got older, their key guys, and they didn't have a lot of good pleasure plays. I mean, Lonnie Shelton ended up, you know, he was a good young player. Jim McMillan fell off quite a bit after that trade. You know, I think they would have expected more out of him. So there's a lot of good reasons why they, you know, it, it was a number of guys. It wasn't necessarily just one guy, but obviously McAdoo and Haywood, kind of the poster child of the idea of the team at the time of like trying to buy a star and getting them to, um, you know, be better in the idea of how important team play is um, during that time. And kind of, I think they were, it, we have this, like, obviously we're in an era, we've been in the air for like kind of the last 10 years or so of, you know, super team era of putting star players together and, you know, kind of making a go with of it. And sometimes, you know, putting that ahead of chemistry, you know, sometimes it works really well. Sometimes like with the examples this year with the Lakers and the Nets, it hasn't worked as well. Um, but I think, you know, McAdoo and Haywood are kind of a cautionary tale. We're a cautionary tale of like not yeah. doing that for a long time of like, you know, of, you know, you, it's obviously there's more to a team than putting stars um, together. But yeah, a- after the Haywood trade, which happens in January of 79, um, you know, they basically, you know, there's an illustration of like, yeah, in the first half McAdoo, who's matching against smaller forward, t- takes nine shots and made six. 
In the second half, Mac Dillon took two shots while Haywood took 10 shots and made four. And then after, like, there's a um, anecdote about Mick. Uh, about McAdoo, like deciding, you know, he's um, he was in a workout, but he said he developed stomach pains and didn't want to do the workout. And then said he was upset about not being given the ball in the second half of the game, said he was mismatched against uh, Bingo Smith and Mike Mitchell. And he says, and he talking about his team, those guys are making numerous problems for themselves by not giving up the ball. It was so easy for them to see that I was involved in mismatches. So uh, again, it, like the Dave Bing thing, when you're saying those guys and then right. you're referring to your teammates, not good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those guys are like, yeah, it's not my fault. They're not giving me the ball. You know, <laughs> if they would just give me the ball, everything would be great. So yes. So, yeah. and then McAdoo, of course, would be traded, you know, I, I think in the off season after that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Fun, fun, fun. So yeah, and obviously yeah. we were we were going to talk about the twenty twenty two Nets, but I mean we're, we're, yeah. we've gone long. Sure, you, yeah. You're living yeah. it right now. You saw sure. it in real yeah. time. They, right. you know, right. Kyrie and Kevin Durant come together in an off season, and they say, "Hey, we're going to build this thing here." They acquire James Harden, and they say, "Oh man, now we go." And then well, Kyrie decides, like, yeah, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I'm not going to yeah. get vaccinated. I'm not going to play." Yeah. So James Harden uh, still struggling after deciding to get fat to try to get traded, and then said, "All right, well now I'll just lose all my fat." And then they went, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm 33 now. That doesn't work the same as it yeah. did when I was 27." So, all right. let me tell you, it sucks. Yeah, getting fat yeah. is it takes a lot of time to not get fat anymore. It does. You get it's older, hard. So, yeah, yeah. It is, it's tough. It is quite the struggle. So yeah, yeah, you're yeah. living it. You see it right now. But uh, maybe maybe in in episode 500, we'll we'll cover the oh, 2022 yeah. Nets when it's now. Oh yeah, I'm just sure a, a distant thing that nobody remembers. Sure. But that'd uh, be a great reason. Yeah, when we're when we're talking about that Atlanta Magic Dynasty, we'll also talk about. It. Hey, <laughs> right, yeah. remember when that's were good? Yeah. yeah. Hey. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So. so there you go. So that is that. That right. was that was fun. I like that. That was a good, yeah. good little show we did. I enjoyed that one for sure. Yeah. Hopefully uh, the listeners enjoyed it as well. Yeah, but we went a little long, but it's been a while since we've been here. So you get more of us this time. So it's a, uh, it's all good. But everyone, you know, of course, you can check us out um, over on backnba.com. If you want to find us on social media, we are at Facebook and Twitter at over and back uh, NBA. You can find us there. Give us comments. See if there's any other teams that you think like, oh, hey, why didn't you talk about these guys? Don't mention the 2004 Lakers. We've already addressed that. So don't bother with that. But any other team you think like, oh, yeah, this team brought this guy or, yeah, I don't know. Well, you're totally wrong about the Memphis Sounds, Jason. How dare you speak, uh, you know, ill of uh, of Joel Mullaney or, you know, exactly or Mike Storen. So uh, anyway, if you got any opinions like that, feel free to share them with us. If you want to, uh, you know, find us on uh, any podcast platform, want to give us a rating and review, uh, a good one. We would prefer that. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, otherwise, just uh, keep on listening. We're back again soon.